global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hello, folks. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we increase yields and improve profits. I just want to say thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate all of you out there who take part in what we do, who listen and share and give us ratings. And we appreciate those ratings a great deal. I am very excited about today's episode. I have a new friend, someone who Karen knows and has been following and has a great deal of confidence in, and I am super excited. This individual is an agribusiness advisor. He is also a newly licensed attorney who works with farmers, ranchers, and small business owners on various business management and transition planning topics. His main area of focus is providing first-generation and returning young farmers business management resources, as well as assisting retiring generations to structure a succession or transition plan for their farm operation. Recently, he created an online ag community, Brain Trust Ag, which is a network of producers and experts who share ideas, tools, and to learn from each other. This quickly growing peer group is specific to the business and transition side of agriculture. And I want to welcome to today's episode, Clint Fisher. Clint, thanks for helping us out today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be on here, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Me too. We love ag. As you well know, everything we do is is ag. That's, you know, for a hobby, we have a I don't know, 85 or so cows. That's our recreation. And uh, we love ag in all ways. I want to dive in here with some questions, Clint. I know you're busy, but let's jump right in here. You know, it's often said that you have to inherit a farm in order to own one. Is this true? That is a good question. And I am here today to say that is not true. And I say that because I work with various first-generation farmers and ranchers all the time. And, you know, unfortunately, there's this narrative out there that because the the incredibly high cost of land, of equipment, and even just the inputs in order to get a first crop or to buy breeding stock, that it's just impossible. And it is a challenge, but it's not impossible because it's one of those things, Rob, that If nobody had done it, then I might lean towards, yes, it's impossible. However, I have the pleasure of working with folks who do it, who have done it, and are starting today. I mean, just recently, in the last couple of weeks, I worked with a young farm couple. They've been working with a gentleman kind of as a, a hired hand role, and he doesn't have any farm kids who want to take over his operation. And so we're structuring a deal where now this young family who doesn't come from a farming background. They, you know, they come from rural America, like so many of us, but they don't have the opportunity to take over the family farm. Well, now they have an opportunity to take over this operation. And so we're working through a transition plan. It's because they've developed these relationships that they will now become first-generation farm owners. And so I see these stories and I just want to announce it to the world that don't buy the line that says it's impossible. Absolutely. I believe you should listen to the people who believe in you. And if they don't believe in you, then it's time to move on. They shouldn't be a part of your group. But uh, that's great. You know, it's we're blessed. Had a better way to farm. We work with several first-generation farmers, and it's really cool to see how those guys are doing it and what they're doing to make it happen. And it's awesome. So, Clint, what do you see as some of the common challenges for young people trying to break into farming on their own? 
You know, I think some of the major challenges are, are pretty well known. Just the significant financial burden of accessing the land, accessing the various resources that are needed. And, you know, on top of that, the last couple of years, we've seen interest rates skyrocket. So now our cost of capital to get into any of this uh, production agriculture has gone up, which really tightens down the financial viability, the cash flow, you might say, of the operation to make it able to support a family, but also to have some left over to try and grow. You know, and so really the financial burden is pretty high. You know, the other burden, I think, that the other challenge that a lot of folks run into is kind of a lack of support and a lack of information and a lack of education. And, you know, we ask our farmers and our ranchers and really any of the ag retail small business owners out there, we ask them to wear so many different hats as an owner operator. And by golly, the margins are so thin they have to be experts at many different areas of business without maybe the traditional training, education, background. I don't run into a lot of Harvard or Stanford MBA graduates who are getting into, <laughs> into the farm. And so there's not uh, maybe the financial acumen that there might be in some of the other industries. And yet we're asking them to do that to make a living in such a small margin production agricultural business. And so I think part of what I try to do, and I know what you try to do, is just provide the education, provide resources and tools to help these folks, knowing that, yes, they have to be business managers, but they also have to be agronomists and nutritionists and veterinarians and mechanics to wear all those hats. Boy, you need support around you. You need to share ideas and information and, and peer group. So I think that's another challenge that's often overlooked. You know, it's easy to say the, the financial burden of starting a farm, but boy, it's also that support system, that, that network that you have, I think is so crucial. Absolutely. We talk about who do you have on your team and sometimes we have teammates that need to be traded and that's like in any pro sport or in farming. We got to make sure that that team is right there with us. Talk to me about some of the creative ways that you've seen to overcome these challenges. That's a good topic to kind of just let people know that it doesn't have to be, from a financial aspect, it doesn't have to be go to the local community bank, which I'm a big supporter of. My dad was in the rural bank doing egg lending, and that's a great place to start. However, that's not the only place to access capital. Buying land is not the only way to become a farmer, and you don't necessarily need to inherit land or money in order to become that farmer. When I work with folks is I say, first and foremost, let's look at our network. Let's look at our relationships that we have, that we can work through, develop, build these relationships to see, is there a retiring landowner, a retiring farmer within your circle, within your network, who has some compassion, who's willing to help out a little bit? They're going to rent you some land for maybe a little bit less than fair market value. They're going to let you swap labor for use of their equipment. They're going to let you rent you know, equipment or they'll custom plant, custom harvest, things like that. So that's one of the things is we don't all have to go out and just buy everything right off the bat. As soon as we try to do that, if we can get approved from loans or with investors or, or anything like that, boy, that's not setting us up for great success. I mean, taking on that kind of debt burden right off the bat, that's tough. And so 
one of the things from a financial side that I really am a proponent of, and I work with folks on this a lot, it's this thing I've been calling an egg adjacent side hustle. And so I'll just paint the picture real briefly. I'm working at the local factory. That's my full-time job. has nothing to do with agriculture. But boy, I want to start a farm. And I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what to do. Well, one of the things that we need to do is we've outlined our long-term goal, which is I want to have this farm. Well, how am I going to get there? Well, I need to pull that boat a little closer to the dock, so to speak. And so by doing that, I'm going to start up what I call an egg-adjacent side hustle. And so we're all pretty familiar with what side hustles are. Uh, You know, something outside of our full-time job that's providing another source of income. Well, I think there's two points that are really specific to this type of a side business. And one is for it to be, you know, puts me in proximity to other opportunities, to relationships, to, to farms where I can have an impact, build a relationship, you know, with other farmers. So for instance, it's not uh, window washing the, the commercial buildings in town. That's not going to get me closer to that farming goal. Uh, it could be something like fixing fence or even doing virtual bookkeeping work for farms. There's just a wide variety of different side businesses that can get me in the proximity of other ag folks who might have opportunities for retirements or land that's available. So that's number one is the proximity. Number two is it needs to complement my farming operation and it needs to complement both seasonally, right? So it can't, my busy time for my side business can't also coincide with the busy time for my farm. It can't conflict. So one is the kind of the seasonality. Two is I want it to complement with assets. So for instance, maybe I can lease a mini excavator from the local rental shop or the local equipment dealer, clean out tile outlets for farmers, and now I'm able to use that on my own rented ground down the road to help improve my rented ground. The side business is complementing my eventual farming goals. You know, so one of the things that an egg adjacent side hustle does is one, it provides me income, it provides me more money to then go ahead and deploy and leverage for my future farm. But also what I've seen happen, this is pretty cool. There's kind of two choices. Either A, I continue to grow my side business. It could be egg retail. It could be selling products, anything like that. One, I could grow that, continue to grow that. And now I have a diversified income stream that also helps support the farm. It also justifies labor a lot of times. Oftentimes our farms don't have enough to keep one person busy year round. But by golly, between the two, the side business and the farm, it might justify an employee. And so you kind of grow it alongside your farm. And now we have a little bit less risk, right? We've got two different income streams. Or B, what I've seen other people do is they sell that side business. And now you've got a chunk of money that you can go deploy and leverage against to get into your farming operation. I worked with a gentleman not too long ago, had a road grading business. So he was grading roads for the townships and ended up that paid for his road graders. So now he's sitting with two road graders, free and clear. Didn't want to do that for the rest of his life. Sold those and rolled that money right over into getting into his first farm. So there's a couple of different options after you've established that side business I'm a big proponent of kind of that concept to overcome some of those challenges that, that we talked about. 
Well, I'm excited. You've triggered a boatload of thoughts within me here. I've been taking notes curiously while you were talking. And I think that, you know, one of the things that came to mind, you didn't say it, but I think is sweat equity. Every generation wants to start out just a little bit better than where mom and dad are. The new married couple would like to have a little nicer house. They'd like to have a little more of everything, a little fancier car. And we got to be willing to start from a humble beginning, number one. Number two, you know, sometimes instead of buying the brand new stuff, we're going to have to put a little hustle in there and some sweat. I love that. You know, non-traditional, that came to mind. You're non-traditional. At what age did you go back to law school? Yeah, so I went back to law school. I was, well, 31. 31. So that's a non-traditional deal. Most of the kids were probably 22 years old right out of their undergrad. The vast majority of them were. And it gave me a big leg up in a lot of ways to have life experience, right? That's one of the things, too, working with newer folks getting into agriculture who might have other experiences from other industries, working in other parts of the country, doing many other types of work, having relationships kind of spread out. It gives you such a different viewpoint. And that's one of the things when I work with folks, I don't come at it from a typical 100%. This is a farm business management standpoint, because that's what's been taught at all the farm business management courses and classes throughout all the ag education places. I come at it from, hey, this is what has happened to me from starting and failing a handful of businesses, from managing various businesses. I've got a pretty deep background in commercial real estate. you know, So I look at things a little bit differently. And I think that that helps. That's where, to your point, Rod, it's encouraging folks who maybe don't have the roots within ag to, you know, you still have assets to your name through your experiences and your knowledge that you can deploy and it bundle that all together. It's a pretty good package. I love that. You know, it's funny because we have a team, as you well know, here at A Better Way to Form, very well-trained team. And the thing that the guys that work with us like is that they're really busy seizing working with A Better Way to Farm is to be between like Thanksgiving and late March. And so many jobs in town are not a side hustle, they're a job. And when you should be planting corn, you're pulling wrenches at the John Deere dealership or you're working at the factory. And as ag adjacent, I guess we're pretty blessed in that because we have a lot of people who make significant income marketing products, but they're only real busy seasons in the off season from farming. One last comment on that. I think there's huge opportunities thanks to the internet to be finding more and more of these uh, relationships, connections, and business opportunities that are complementary, that aren't going to conflict with the farming schedule, thanks to the internet. I really am a firm believer in that. That's really changed things for us. Let's jump over and talk about transition succession a little bit here. Why is it so important to have that transition succession plan for the farm? And is that the same thing as an estate plan? Hmm, That's a good question. That's a good question. One way I'll answer that is, if you don't have a plan, your state has a plan for you. There's no such thing as no plan. If you pass on, I shouldn't say if, when you pass on, either your plan will be followed or the state will decide what happens to your assets. And I have yet to work with anybody who preferred the state's way of distributing assets over their own. So first and foremost... What a succession, a transition plan allows is for you to make decisions while you're within the thick of it in the business, you know the operations of the farm, 
you know how things work and don't work because you've put in years of experience. And now you can set that next generation, whether that's your own family or third party, somebody else who's willing to take over, set them up for success a lot easier than once you're removed 15, 20 years away from the farming operation. And now you're trying to scramble at the last minute to put together more of an estate plan, right? And so we'll, we'll differentiate the two. A transition succession plan is really what is happening with that business as an ongoing entity. And what is that plan? What's that transition period while I'm alive? And a state plan is merely, this is what happens to all of my assets the moment I pass away. Traditionally, a will or a trust will handle kind of that the estate side of things, which is just distributing assets after you die. A good succession transition plan, it's really thinking a longer term approach, a slower way to work in somebody coming into the business management decisions. And so I always say that the big roles and responsibilities of the decision-making, the management of the farm, those need to be transitioned 10, 15, even 20 years before the actual asset ownership gets transferred, right? So we're not putting on the next generation millions of dollars of assets, potentially millions of dollars of debt. And oh, by the way, you don't experience running this as a business. Now go figure it out. You know, that's not a recipe (laughs) for success. And so I like to see that management plan, you know, evolve over time. Let's make sure they're capable. Let's make sure they get it in order to keep the legacy that you've built, which is this farming operation. Let's keep that legacy intact going forward because, you know, honestly, There is a plan. You could retire as a farmer and you can just sell the farm for pieces. Some people do that. But most of the people I work with, they say, no, this is my livelihood, but it's also my lifestyle. It's my legacy. It's what I've spent my whole life building. And I would like to keep it intact for whoever is coming to take over. And so part of that succession transition plan is how do we do that in a financially viable way? so that it sure. can maintain itself as a business you know, going forward. So that's kind of the differentiation between estate planning and, and succession planning, at least how I look at things. What are some of the things that you see, what do you feel like they get wrong? What's the most often thing they get wrong in a transition plan? Waiting too long to begin the process is probably number one. And the most common mm. question I get, it's not even really a question, it's a comment. It says, well, we just don't know where to begin. And I say, well, do you want to know where to begin? Do you want to go through this process? Because one of the things that has to happen, call it a necessary evil. I don't know if it's really an evil, but one of the things that must happen is having discussions with the next generation that are often hard. We have to admit that we are all going to die someday, right? We have to admit our own mortality, and that's difficult for a lot of us. And so what ends up happening is that can just gets kicked down the road, down the road, down the road. And so it never begins, right? So I think number one is just not even starting, not even diving into what is a transition plan and then saying, you know, there's a sentiment out there that that I really disagree with, but what does it matter to you? You're going to be dead and gone. Who cares what happens to your assets? You know, and I disagree (laughs) with that. So I think not starting, not even, you know, having the, the conversations is one. Second thing that is pretty common is, We'll get a half-baked plan. We might go through and we'll get a trust set up, and then that trust never gets funded. That's a common thing where 
I go through, I pay the attorneys a couple grand. They set me up a trust that's supposed to distribute assets after I die, but I never put any assets in the trust. Now everything is going by virtue of my will. So it was meaningless. So that's kind of another issue that I run into often is that, you know, we started, we got busy, we got sidetracked, something happened. There was a divorce, a kid left the farm. And so we just hit pause and then we never picked it back up. And now the kids have to figure that out through probate court. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to avoid with all these discussions. And so that's the second kind of issue. And then the third is kind of an interesting one that oftentimes it, it kind of lays into not even starting, but oftentimes we think that everything has to be fair. Everything has to be equal. There's the kind of the notion that there should be an equitable distribution, but maybe not an equal distribution, because one of the common issues is one or two kids are in the farm. They've been helping dad for 20 years. So what does that sweat equity mean? How do you value that? And then there's two kids that are outside the farm, right? They have off-farm families. They don't have anything to do with the farm. And so how do we treat the farming kid fairly or equitably with the off-farm kids? And so that's one of the big challenges that we work through. And you'll notice that none of those things are really diving into the legal language of an estate plan or a succession plan. It's the relationship side. It's the business side of the actual operation that is so crucial, especially at the beginning stages of a transition that are often overlooked saying, well, they'll figure it out once all these things, these fall into place. But I like to try to have those conversations earlier, you know, rather than later. You know, it's interesting because Sheila and I have often talked that equal and fair are not synonyms. We want them to be, but they're not. We have a large clientele and I can't begin to tell you how many deals we have going right now where there's the one kid who stayed home and the three kids who left and the three kids think they deserve 25% of everything. And the other kid gave up his whole life. And that kid is now 50, 60 years old. And they're wanting him to buy everything back and there's nothing in place. And so guys, if you're listening, when I get done here, you're going to get a chance to reach out to Clint and I want you to take that opportunity. Last question. We're about out of time. I know you're busy, but we got a retiring generation. They want to leave their legacy intact. They want to structure a transition. How do they structure a transition plan if they don't have kids that want to take it over? You know, what does it look like? How do you, you know, I didn't put together what I've put together to have it be pieced off. That's not the deal. And let's protect, got mm-hmm. kids, but if yep. I didn't, what does it look like? How do I transition this so it carries on as it is and can be grown instead of sold at a fire sale? It's becoming more and more of a common question. Even a handful of years ago, it was pretty uncommon to hear that type of a, a sentiment. But I've been, in the last six months, I've been involved with a number of deals where that's exactly the case. I either don't have any kids to take over or I have kids who are all have off-farm careers. And they have no interest, no grandkids who take over, but I want to be able to, you know, maintain this this legacy that I've built. And so there's a handful of us that I've I've kind of met throughout the US who are working on, you know, this independent, unrelated third party transition scenario. And it takes a willing owner generation, and then it really takes a willing and capable younger farm family type generation to come in, uh, you know, willing to move, has some business acumen, 
has that work ethic, has a little bit of know-how and background, and not necessarily capital, right? So they don't necessarily need to be coming in with a pile of capital because what we're doing is we're structuring a very similar structure that you would do within a family. However, it's with an unrelated third party. And frankly, Rod, I'll be honest, sometimes that's even easier because we don't have the family drama to deal with. (laughs) But there's a few keys. One is, hey, we need to put protections in place for both parties that say, you know, this is more than just a promise because we've all heard the stories of, well, you know, the neighbor promised me his land and then he died. And then the will said, no, I went to the sister who was living in California. We've all heard those stories. And so we need to put protections in place for both parties. And we need to have a trial period, right? We need to have kind of this apprenticeship because every farm is different. It's unique. I'm working with a gentleman out of New York. Uh, He did some traditional cash crops, but also some specialty vegetable farming background. And he's looking at uh, an opportunity in North Dakota. And so we're, we're kind of going through the beginning stages of what does this look like for you learning how to farm in North Dakota versus the state of New York. And that is going to take time. It's going to take a couple growing seasons. And in the meantime, you're going to be a well-paid employee with these protections in place and knowing that our personalities are going to align. But, but really that's where some of the legal documents can kind of come in and say, you know, Hey, this is more than just a promise. You're not going to uproot your life and move to a different state. The rug can be pulled out from under you at, at a whim but there's a handful of us who are kind of working in that space. And I think it's a growing trend. I really do. I think that the more that this type of process gets exposure and it gets successful exposure, I think more and more of the owner generation, you know, because frankly, we're growing older as a farming generation. Our baby boomers are ready to, uh, to go down to Arizona and Texas for the summer or for the winters, you know? And so uh, there's a lot of opportunities for young people, I think, to come in, to take over an operation. There's going to be some hard work ahead, but if that's your dream, uh, there's going to be some good opportunities. That's awesome. One of the trainers that I study with has one of his catchphrases is focus on the dream, not the drama. And I'm sure that when we can focus on the dream of the transition instead of the trailer park drama, of all the dynamics it's way better well clint i've really appreciated this i'll close it out here in a little bit but how do they reach out to you how do they contact clint fisher sure so my main presence is is been on twitter which is now x uh you can follow me there at clint w fisher uh reach out i answer pretty much all the all the dms i can on there and then I'd encourage you to check out braintrustag.com. It's also got my contact info, my email address, everything on there. That's braintrustag.com. Really, it's a pretty cool community of farmers and experts kind of setting up a peer group to learn, to discuss these kinds of things that, man, it's fun to shed light on and to just bring awareness to some of the things that aren't rain related and, and market prices related. I love that. Clint, do you have any closing comment here? We're going to wrap her up. You know, I appreciate this opportunity to, again, to share, you know, the, the stuff that I'm working on. And and just I would encourage folks just to learn as much as they can. Learn from Better Way to Farm. Learn from people who have been there, done that, and take some of the wisdom and, and toss out some of the wisdom that you learn as well. More information is generally a good thing. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Well, Clint, thank you for your time. Oh, is there a code that they can use to get some extra goodies? Did Karen say something about that? Yes, yes, there is. 
So if you become a member of Brain Trust Ag and you use the code Better Way, you'll get a free farm evaluation, basically a health scorecard saying, hey, here's, here's where you're at today. Here's some things you might want to look at and improve on. And here's how we can help you achieve that. So that's really cool. Thanks for doing that. All right. Well, they'll reach out to you at braintrustag.com. They'll give you code Better Way and they're going to get a free checkup. That's going to be great. You want to reach out to us, you can give us a call or a text at 641-919-1206. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We love talking to you. We really look forward to hearing from you soon. And let me just say, as always, we hope you're having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.